Welcome to The Bear and the Ball. I am your host, Nick Webster. Delighted to welcome Craig Hearn to The Bear and the Ball, a D1 player and host of his own very own podcast, We Are Soccer. Craig, welcome to The Bear and the Ball. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate uh, the opportunity. And uh, yeah, love uh, love what you do, man. It's pushing the pushing the beautiful game along. And yeah, happy to be here to chat with you. Well, I, I can't believe you got a smile on your face being an Aston Villa supporter. Just to listeners out there, Craig is a huge villain's. Um, and he probably doesn't actually remember when Aston Villa were really good because he's way younger than me. But back in the uh, early 80s, Aston Villa were really one of the top teams in the world and actually won the European Cup, today's Champions League. And they won the, the, they won the first division as well. Now the Premier League. So. Yeah, they, they used to be, Villa used to be top. And, and a lot of people don't know this here in America, but Villa are uh, actually a really big club in England. Uh, they're massive. They just, you know, in the last 10 to 20 years have been on a bit of a downslide. But hey, we're, we're on our way back up now. Well, you've got Unai Emery, who I, I really respect as a manager and uh, lots of young, exciting players on the team. And I, I will just, uh, you know, so so there's no no confusion. I have two Aston Villa players on my fantasy Premier League team. Of course, Ollie Watkins and Leon yep. Bailey and They've actually done quite well for me this year, although I should have picked up Martinez as well. But there's something about the guy I just can't stand, so I can't have him on my team. There's always one, right? There's always one player on a team that you hate, and uh, most people hate him, but we're happy to have him. He, uh, he's a bit of a jokester, uh, a really fun guy, but yeah, everybody else hates him. But uh, you got you to gotta respect his ability. One of the best goalkeepers in the world over the last uh, 12 to 18 months. No, absolutely outstanding, a World Cup winner and uh, one of the big reasons why Aston Villa have been so successful this year, but I still hate him. Um, let's, let's, talk about you. let's talk about you, Craig, a, f- a former Division One soccer player. Um, talk to me a little bit about that journey. What was it like and, and uh, was, was there any designs ever to, be, to become a pro? Yeah, it's funny, actually. Um, I, uh, I played for Michigan State University uh, Division I uh, in the Big Ten. Uh, back in 1999 to 2003. And uh, soccer has been, it was always just uh, the, the only real thing in, in life that I loved. Um, I always wanted to go pro, always wanted to to get out there and try it. Um, I, I played through my youth and was a, a really good player, uh, lucky enough to get a scholarship to go play Division One at Michigan State University, played four years. And then I came out and uh, at the time, the MLS draft was going on. I wasn't invited to the combine. Um, so my opportunities were a little limited. Uh, at the time, it was to go play uh, for some in the lower divisions. And unfortunately, you know, back in 2003, the money involved wasn't quite, uh, it, it's not great now, but it, it was even worse then. And I couldn't really make a living out of it. So I decided to take my degree that I'd earned from Michigan State University and put that into play. Uh, and I told everybody I was going to stop playing for a while. And that lasted about two weeks. <laughs> and then I joined uh, joined a bunch of men's leagues and um, and then just continued playing uh, from there. But uh, nothing on the professional level until a little later, uh, once I hit my early 30s. So talk about that experience of being a D1 player and the the, the, the challenges of also being a student because fr- from my experience coaching uh, at uh, D1 with uh, UCSB, it's almost a full-time job. So balancing those two things, uh, I think it is very challenging. How did you, how did you uh, succeed? Yeah, it is a full-time job. It takes up, uh, I mean, you're awake at 6 a.m. and you, you know, you're not finished uh, either practicing, studying, or doing something for school until late in the, late in the night. Um, it, it's, it's tough to, to do. 
you know, you're either practicing in the weight room or doing film sessions uh, or in class or, or at study hall at Michigan State. Uh, they, they, they mandated that student athletes from the hours of, I think it was seven o'clock to nine o'clock be in study hall to make sure that we got everything that we needed to be done. Um, it, it's a tough balance. It really is. And I've, I've seen when I was there, I saw a couple of kids who couldn't balance it. They, they got off track a little bit. And if you get off track, your grades suffer. And if your grades aren't up, you get kicked off the team. Um, so you really do have to, to be, to be dedicated. Uh, so it is. It's a, it's quite the lifestyle, but trust me, the benefits during while you're there, everybody knowing your name, some of the uh, the gear you get, uh, getting into some of the other uh, sporting events, uh, and then the camaraderie you have with your teammates. Uh, it's something I wouldn't trade uh, trade for the world. Do you think the college game prepares players for the next level? I think it did back then. Nowadays, it's changed, right? Kids coming out of high school, uh, graduating, they've got a lot of other opportunities. Um, I still, and I don't know if I'm wrong in this personally, but I still feel the college game is still a great level. I still feel that it, it does prepare kids to uh, to play at a really good level and then go pro afterwards. Um, I, it does put, there are life skills that you learn, how to balance that schoolwork, how to uh, be on a team, how to show up and be accountable. And coming out of high school, you really don't have a lot of that in you. So I think it does and the game these days, um, it's still a real high level. I got a couple of friends who don't think it's such a high level. I went to watch a lot of Michigan State games this year. It is a really good level, in my opinion. Um, so for those people who kind of shun it, I, I disagree with you. I, I think it's a great level still. Talk to me a little bit about how the college season is so truncated and whether we should follow a more let's say a, a European model where the, the season is longer. It's not quite as, as, as hectic and it, it will allow, I think players, coaches, uh, programs that little bit to breathe. And why do you think that the NCAA is still kind of digging their toes in when pretty much everybody goes, it needs to change. Yeah, I, I don't know why they're doing that, um, to be honest. I would love to see it extended. You know, it's from August till, you know, that final game is usually played in the first or second week of December. I would love to see it be longer. I would love to see more games. I would love to see. It's tough with the, especially up here in Michigan, right? We have snow on the on the ground in December, January, and uh, all the way to March. So it's tough. But there are indoor stadiums that we have, each, each not all, not the, young, the, the lower level schools, but Maybe break it into two seasons. I don't know because there's a whole spring season where uh, there's two, three, four months that could be used. I would love it to be longer. I'd love for more games, uh, less, uh, more space in between those games in, in the fall. Um, I don't know why the NCAA doesn't do that. Probably just hasn't been an emphasis because it's still not a major money-making sport compared to basketball and, and football, obviously. Uh, now, if if if, uh, if it got to be a money making sport like those like football or, or basketball, I'm sure they'd find a way to get more games and extend out the season and make bigger tournaments for it. Well, you bring up a really interesting point: soccer, football, the world's game played everywhere, mm-hmm. but at the collegiate level in 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 the US, it's as you just mentioned, it's still kind of like a minor sport. Why, when there's obviously a, a huge d- 
demand for the sport in this country? Why, why do you think collegiately it's still a minor sport? You know, I, I don't know. That's a great question. Um, I will say it's grown, right? So I, when I was playing at Michigan State, we would, we would host an Indiana or a Penn State or University of Michigan, and we'd get four or 5,000 fans for those games. But when a smaller team came, you know, a, a Youngstown State or a, um, someone who's outside of the conference or, or maybe many people didn't know about, we'd get maybe a thousand people. Nowadays, I think the average attendance at some of these college games, especially for Michigan State, is, is uh, four, five, six, seven thousand people. Uh, they've got bigger stands now. The, the, uh, they're, they're accommodating more. So it has grown. It hasn't quite grown to the point where I would like it to be, but I, I don't know. Maybe it's a great question. It's something actually I would like to dig into a little bit more as to why it hasn't gotten bigger. Um, it might have something to do with the fact that we also have USL championship, USL one, USL two. There, there's a lot of other soccer out there. You know, um, back in 1999, when I came out of high school, there was, there was one option. Essentially it was, it was college soccer. And if, if you were good enough, you wouldn't play college soccer. If you weren't, you didn't play and that was it. Nowadays, you know, you've got a host of USL, USL1, USL2, USL Championship or MLS if you're good, the academy systems or college. So there's so much more out uh, pathways now uh, that might have something to do with it. There's just more options for people to go watch and to play. So you were one of the lucky ones. You got a scholarship. You got to go to university for four years, get it all paid for, get a degree, hang with your buds, play the beautiful game. Let's let's put let's put myself in this situation. Maybe you can help me out here. I'm a high school senior. I love the game, but I'm kind of like, what do I do? How do I how do I how do I get how do I get noticed beyond you know the traditional film, which I hate, which is 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 not really uh, a barometer of a, of a good player. What are, what what are, yeah. the, what are the tips and techniques and tools that you would recommend to a to a high school player who wants to go to college and 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 has ability, and it's not just ability in their parents' head. Yeah, I mean, trust me. There's these days. It's completely different to when I was when I was coming out of high school. But these days, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm on Twitter a lot, and I see a lot of uh, high school soccer athletes, and they're putting up their film. You know, two or three that stick out to me film some of their training sessions, and they film themselves uh, in their backyard and some of the things they're working on. And it's not just one or two little you know, 30, 60 second clips, it's multiple. And as a, as a soccer uh, person, I follow that kid and I go, all right, I'm going to see if they can continue this. And there's two or three um, young ladies actually in high school um, that I see a video of them playing soccer three times a week. They're at the gym, they're on in the backyard, they are committed. And what I don't see on their social media is negative things or things that could could really lead into going questioning their personality. So these days, it's you really got to be clean on social media. But coaches want to see that you're willing to work, wanting to put in the work, be part of the process. Um, I still think some of those goal clips are fun to watch. It doesn't really show a ton. But if you can find someone to break that down, um, it's funny. I had a friend the other day send me a clip and he said, watch this. And I said, I'm not seeing anything good out of that clip. I just see someone kicking a ball long and a defender making a mistake and a forward who's quick getting on the end of it. I didn't see anything out of that. Now, I could probably find you 10 clips really quickly of a forward making a run, an arcing run to stay on side, 
a ball that was slotted through at the right time, a defender who takes up a good position, uh, someone who turns in the middle of the field at the right time, someone who distributes. Um, I, I think it does take a keen eye from some of us folks who are looking for players to be able to establish that. But for the from the player's perspective, it's it's being able to find someone to to curate these little these little clips, and they're not just all the goal clips, right, or all the defensive clips. It's a couple of them pieced together to show different things and highlight it. Um, other than that, I mean, you just you got to be willing to put in the work. You got to go. I still think the the being on a, a youth team, a good youth team, maybe going the ODP route, um, doing additional things, being on as many teams as you can, and getting coaches to advocate for you as well. Um, if, if, you know, if a, if a college coach ca calls your youth coach, he probably wants you to get it picked up. But if you're a kid who shows up consistently, puts in the work, does the dirty work, does, you know, um, and is part of the team and doesn't do anything negative, he's really going to speak favorably on your behalf. You mentioned being clean on social media. And I think that it is very easy to make mis mistakes that get you branded as X. However, yeah. in my experience of, of playing, coaching, broadcasting, it is the player that does get yourself into trouble that is usually the player that makes the difference, the player that can do something special, the player that can yeah. do things that the nice player, the good kid can't do. So yeah. finding that balance and, and, and especially you're kind of, kind of bringing it back to your um, collegiate story where you said, if you don't make the grades, you get cut. And I've, I'm experiencing that right now. Funny enough, uh, I'm, I'm helping my son out at, at his high school. And a couple of kids have got grade cut. And I've been having a big back and forth with the administration because we're part of LAUSD. It's a massive bureaucracy. And they're like, this is it. And I'm saying to these people, the only reason these kids are coming to school is to play soccer. And you're taking that away from them. And right. now after school, instead of being at soccer and running around for two hours, they're on the streets. And I mean, I went into the principal right. and, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm nearly in tears for these, for the, for these kids. I love these kids so much. I'm like, nope, nope, nope. This, ha this is how it is. I'm not asking you to come up with the solution, but how do you think we can work with kids who aren't that interested in education, but maintain this connection with the sport. Yep, that's a that's a great uh, a great question uh, and a tricky one, right? And every situation is different um, because you're right. You take soccer away, you take a sport away from some of these kids who are on the street doing bad things, right, or uh, getting into trouble. But I also think there has to be a little bit of give and take. There has to be from the kid a little bit of the willingness to go to class, to show up and put in the effort. So as long as you're seeing that, the, the, the kid put in the effort or at least try, he may not be getting the best grades in the world, but if he has good attendance and he's putting in an effort, there has to be a little bit of that. It has to be a little give and take. And I would hope these administrators, these principals, whoever it may be, can see that the, the, the kid is trying. He or she is, is out there really trying, maybe not getting the grades, but hey, there has to be some give and take. Now, if the kid isn't showing up to practice, or excuse me, isn't showing up to class, isn't showing up with homework done, 
is is being disrespectful, then we're going in a different direction, right? But you know, I, I'll, I'll give you, I'll tell you right now, I didn't get very good grades. My grades were in high school were pretty poor um, because I focused on soccer. Um, I wish I could go back and kind of undo that a little bit. Um, but once I got to college, I really had to buckle down. And, and the coach took me aside in the first couple of weeks and he said, listen, you know, uh, you're here because you're a soccer player, but part of that deal is you need to go to class. If you can go to class, um, show up to study hall, put in the effort, it, that is just as important as coming to practice. You miss study hall and a class, that's just like you missing a practice. So they're part and parcel. Do the work as a whole in a day, and this will work out really well for you. And I came out with a four-year degree. I got a nice degree, which I've parlayed into a job, um, and, and, and I was very lucky. But it, had, you know, I, it took a little conversation from that coach uh, to tell me that. Um, so I think there needs to be give and take. There's no, there's no easy answer to that you know, for kids. You mentioned the, the role of the coach right there. And beyond the X's and O's, how important was the relationship that you had with the coach when you, when you push all the soccer stuff to the side? Oh, it, it's, it's when you're, when you go to college, your coach is like the father figure uh, or mother figure, you know, depending on the situation. But for me, I, the recruiting process was pretty funny. Um, I received phone calls, you know, back in the, back in the late nineties, you would receive phone call to the, to the house phone. And I'm taking phone calls from several coaches and one coach in the, in the area uh, called me and said, uh, we'll give you a full ride. Um, you come in, um, you're, you're going to be starting game one. You're my starting center forward. And I went, wow, this is great. This is, this is what I really want to hear. All right. Um, and then, uh, Michigan state called me and, and they, they gave me their spiel and I said, Hey, well, what about playing time? And, and the, the coach goes, well, what do you mean? And I go, well, the coach down the road offered me a starting spot. He, and the Michigan state coach goes, I don't offer anybody a starting spot. I've got guys who've been here for two and three years who are busting their butt in practice. And they, uh, sorry to say, uh, are above you right now, uh, unless you can come in here and unseat them in practice. You need to come in here and do the work. He goes, I'm going to give you, uh, you know, uh, the, the money here. That's, but as far as coming in here and offering you so many minutes, that can't, that can't happen. And I went, Dang, I made myself look like an idiot there. But I tell you what, I respected the hell out of that answer. Um, and I was like, yeah, he's got my back. And, and as long as you're performing in practice, you'll get those minutes. So um, I, I went to state because of part and parcel because of a little bit of that answer. But um, yeah, the go and talk to for advice um, and, and really lean on. And a good coach realizes that these kids are sometimes away for the first time in their lives and and they need to, the coach becomes that father figure you're the advocate the person you can to stand up and and help these kids through some tough situations um, so you would hope uh, a coach would uh, would understand that and do that did you start as a freshman i did actually <laughs> um i did i went in there and started uh something that uh, i had that most players didn't have back then uh was speed i was i was one of the quickest players on a soccer field um, but I did, I did go in there. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a quick, funny story. I went into my first practice, uh, at Michigan state. It was the middle of August. We were doing, uh, you know, we just come into camp and I got the ball at the midfield and I expected to take a touch turn and then start running. And all of a sudden someone came clean through the back of me 
Um, and I just look up and it was a senior standing there going, you got to be quicker at this level, kid. And he ran away. Um, the foul was called, but uh, I, that was a quick learning lesson. Like, oh, man, OK, yeah, eyes over, scan over your shoulder every single time, even in practice, because um, even in practice, it's tough because players want to play. And that's where the real players are made. Right. You know, you're lucky enough to get into the games uh, if you do well enough in practice. Obviously, a deep love of soccer fostered by playing at different levels. So how did We Are Soccer come about? Yeah, so um, listen, I've I've been involved in soccer uh, my entire life. And a lot of people say, well, really, what about the ages of one and two, right? Like my dad's a former professional soccer player. My dad played in South Africa, in England for a couple of years, uh, and then was in South Africa um, playing in front of crowds of 80,000. Uh, my first, one of my first real vivid memories is watching my dad play uh, in, in a championship game in South Africa uh, in front of 80,000 people in a stadium uh, just singing. Uh, they were singing Lionel Richie at halftime, actually. So that's one of my very first memories. Um, so I, Did he play for the Kaiser Chiefs? Yeah, yeah, and, and the Whitbank yeah. uh, Black Aces, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I found you in South Africa, so I'm, I, you know, I, I follow the soccer scene there. Yeah, yeah. I haven't done it. I've, I check back every once in a while, and my dad does as well. But yeah, he played. Uh, he he played there, and as was a um, a very well known and popular player. Um, so I literally grew up with the sport. You know, in the, my backyard, my dad would be playing with me. I'd go watch him play professionally. Um, and then, so I, I read soccer. I watch soccer. I, I, if there's, if there's something out there about the sport, I, I'm trying to be involved with it. I've coached, I've refed, uh, I've trained, uh, I've done a little bit of everything. Um, I have three kids of my own at the moment, 10, uh, eight and five. And a couple of years ago, there was a local, um, sports, uh, studio that was starting up here in Metro Detroit. Um, and I, I, my brother-in-law was involved and I watched for a couple of weeks and they did, you know, the football and the basketball and all that and the hockey. And I went to my brother-in-law, I said, you guys are missing out on a huge, um, a huge audience for soccer. You, sh you should put a soccer show on your, on your network, you know, maybe just once a week for an hour. And he goes, that is a great idea. Uh, you're the only person we know who can talk soccer. And I went, Oh, I'm, I don't know anything about journalism. I don't know anything about being on camera. And he said, listen, just, just, just come and do it. Um, so I did it for about six months. Every We were on uh, 8 a.m. every Saturday morning. Um, we talked about everything from the local soccer scene all the way up to the premiership. Um, and then the, after about six months, the, the local network changed their business model. And I said, hey, I'm going to take my show uh, and do it myself. So for the past two years, I've been doing it, my two and a half years, been doing it myself. Um, we've built up quite a following. So we, we just talk right now. We're, we're live um, every Sunday night from nine o'clock to 11 o'clock Eastern time. Um, but we put out videos every week and we're just me and three guys uh, on, on YouTube and Facebook talking about the beautiful game. Uh, anything, you know, soccer related, whether mostly we get into English Premier League soccer, because that's kind of where we're all uh, where a lot of the, the audience wants to hear us go. And that's where we've kind of grown up watching. So. That's how that came about, um, but man, we're loving it. Uh, it, it is, uh, it's it's my release. So I still play, but it's almost like for for two hours I go into just talking about Aston Villa, Man United, and the FA Cup games that are coming up, and the Champions League matchups, and you know uh, the big news of the day type things. So uh, just yeah, that's kind of how it started, and we'll see if we can keep growing it.
Where can people find the show? We're on every single platform. So it's We Are Soccer on YouTube, uh, on Facebook. We have a, a pretty burgeoning um, Facebook group. I think it's got 2,000 people. It's a private group. So we're very guarded about who we let in and uh, the people who are in there and the conversations that are had. Um, we are on Twitter. Uh, we're on Twitch. But uh, currently live for two hours a week. Uh, we just got a new studio, a second studio. So we're going to be doing a brand new youth segment starting uh, in a couple of weeks here. Um, and uh, a couple of other podcasts we're going to put on there. I think the local Man United group, um, they want to they want to do a podcast with us on the, a show on us on our network. So we'll let them on, even though I'm not a Man United uh, fan in the, in the least. Um, but we'll let them on. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're all over all the platforms. Well, I can't believe you're going to let Man United on after they give you a, a uh, turn you over the other weekend, right? I'm still still sore about that, by the way. I'm still just, oh, gosh. So um, how did you become an Aston Villa supporter? So uh, my, my grandfather was a season ticket holder, which led to my father being a season ticket holder, um, which led to me, uh, you know, he, you always, you kind of follow the teams, the sports teams your dad do, right? Um, actually, uh, in my, my mom, my dad, my two brothers and I are the only ones in our family tree who live outside of England. Uh, the rest of our family is all back in England. Um, and they're all, most of them are Villa supporters. Uh, some of them have season tickets. They've had season tickets for 20, 30, 40 years. Um, it's just, it's in the blood. There was, there was no other choice, uh, for me. Uh, there's pictures of me at the age of six months old wearing a Villa kit. Uh, so yeah, no choice. And I've, uh, set my kids up. For Villa to be Villa fans because uh, same thing, give them Villa kits every Christmas. Uh, my youngest, my youngest son, he's five years old now. I can't believe my wife let me do it, but we named him Aston. So, uh, so yeah, he's got no choice. Yeah, honestly, you, you, you sound as sick as me. So <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if that's a good thing. Uh, last thing before I let you go. Over the next five years, the United States of America is going to become the global point for world soccer. What do you think the legacy will be? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's grown so much in the last thirty years. I remember, you know, people used to hate soccer. Now people they're into it. You you know, I, I think this is it's only a good thing. What I'm really worried about is it growing so big that mo- even more companies and more people are getting involved just for the money. Um, you know, Zlatan was here back uh, several years ago playing for LA Galaxy, and even he commented, he's like, kids. Kids can't play this sport unless they have money, right? So there's there's something to be said for that, that we need to figure out how to get some of these kids who don't have a lot of, their parents don't have a lot of money to play. Um, and I'm hoping we can kind of figure that out and get it back to the point where anybody and everybody can play this sport. Because if you think about it, the greatest, what I think is one of the greatest players to ever play the sport, Lionel Messi, he's five foot seven, 135 pounds. He's not making it in any other sport. Uh, except for soccer, but he's got such a brain uh, and tenacity in him that he can be the greatest soccer player of the sport, right? Here, if he were to grow up here, you know, if he was born, I don't know if he would make it because he was poor, um, he was small, so people shunned him when he was younger. Um, I, I think the legacy needs to, will be after five years that we housed a bunch of tournaments, it was great attendance, we grew the sport even more so, uh, than what it was before, but I hope that it turns out into something positive where we can get kids into the sport no matter where they come from, who they are, or how much money their family has. So uh, there's things that need to be worked on, um, you know, 
within our system. But uh, I, I think we're heading in the right direction for growing the game uh, because of all the tournaments that are coming, especially World Cup in 2026. That's a great thought to leave it on. Craig Hearn, host of We Are Soccer, thank you so much for uh, coming on Bear on the Ball. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Nick. For more on Bear on the Ball, please visit cowsouth.com and you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We'll see you next week.